Hello, it is 24th of February 2018 and this is episode 60 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star's news, analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. Um, if I'm correct, Kirsty, I think we've both had pretty Star Wars light weeks again. So it's not like anything of shattering has happened, right? Um, well, Rebels started again. <laughs> oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm so out of it with Rebels. I know it's important. I know. You don't watch it, but um, I've been getting back into it and I watched the episodes yesterday because I've been on vacation. So I, I guess that's what you were referring to with my light Star Wars week. Yeah. So yeah, I didn't have time to any, do any Star Wars stuff while I was away. But when I got back last night, I watched those episodes. And even though I, I knew that everything that was going to happen, because if you go on the internet, people spoil things for you. It's a rule. Um, I was still very emotional. Um, mm. So I don't know if we are we going to talk about it a bit later. Um, uh, yeah, we can have a separate segment. Yep. Okay. But yeah, we're just down to those last few episodes now. So stuff is happening. It's uh, pretty exciting. So I, I won't go into any spoilers just in case our listeners haven't watched it yet. Um, but I really enjoyed both episodes and I'm looking forward to seeing how the rest of the season is going to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, Rebels overall has been kind of up and down in quality. Um, but I, I watch all of it and I follow the stories and I, I'm invested in these characters. And I'm just so interested to see how it's all going to tie up with what we know is going to be the end of that timeline because it inevitably has to feed into Rogue One and a New Hope era. Um, so that'll just be cool to see. And I'm then excited to see what they're going to announce as the next animation show. Um, so, yeah, exciting times. Excellent stuff. Yeah, so then we can move on from the Rebels talk to the news section. And the first thing we want to cover is that we have the full details of the Last Jedi home release, which are quite exciting. And yeah, this is all from StarWars.com. What I'll do is I'll read out just the beginning of the announcement and then we can talk a bit about the dates and everything. Um, And then I will go through the special features one by one and we can talk about how we feel about each one of them. So, yep, the introduction. The latest film in the Star Wars saga is coming home. Star Wars The Last Jedi will arrive. It was announced today. What well, was today a few days ago? You know how this works. <laughs> on digital, in HD, in 4K, Ultra HD, and via Movies Anywhere on March 13th, and on Blu-ray, 4K, Ultra HD, Blu-ray, and on demand on March 27th. And along with the number one movie of 2017 comes a galaxy of bonus features, including the director and the Jedi, an intimate journey into the creation of Star Wars The Last Jedi with writer-director Ryan Johnson, as well as 14 deleted scenes, an audio commentary, and much more. Right, I just want to take this opportunity to point out that the US is really lucky, because I'm stuck in the UK, and it's really annoying because we're not getting like the Blu-ray until like a month later than <gasps> in the US, and it sucks. Oh, wow. Seriously sucks. Yeah. Weird. It's really hard. I'm so glad that it's going to have come out for you in the US by the time I come over for New York. Because then we're still going to be able to watch it together. Which Mm -hmm. would not be possible if I was still in the UK. So, yeah. It worked out quite well. But it's still annoying. Yeah, I wonder why that is. Um, I think they like to punish us because we get the movie (laughs) a day early. So then they're like, psychs, get you for the home release. You're not having it until late. So, yeah. And I feel like we get everything that Star Wars late, especially the novels. Seriously, like, 
I don't think Legends of Luke Skywalker has been released here, even still. And that's bonkers, because it came out in, like, autumn in the US. And it's not fair. I know this is, like, ultimate first world problems. <laughs> but it's, like, the injustice of it, man. <laughs> yeah. But if it's a few months like that, I don't know. Like, you can ask me to send you stuff, and I will. <laughs> that's very kind. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, if I'm desperate enough, you can order it from places. But it's always on import, you know. You can't actually yeah. go to Waterstones and find a copy. Which is annoying if you want to have, like have a sneaky cheap read. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't want to spend money, <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's how these things go. <laughs> um, yeah, so you, are you super excited to see the movie again when it comes out on Blu-ray? I know that's a silly question, because of course you are, but yeah. definitely. Yeah, so then to get on to the special features that come with this package, and yes, I'm very excited about it too, because of course I am, shock. Um, the f- first and main special feature is the documentary, The Director and the Jedi. Go behind the scenes with writer-director Ryan Johnson on an intimate and personal journey through the production of the movie, and experience what it's like to helm a global franchise and cultural phenomenon. And... Yeah, didn't you say you've heard about the running time for this, Kirsty? Isn't it pretty immense? Apparently it's as long as The Force Awakens, or pretty close to it. I don't know the exact minute, but I saw that on Twitter. And um, it's going to premiere at South by Southwest. Ryan's going to be speaking there. Nice. Um, So yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what's involved in this. Mm. Yeah, I think I heard it's 135 minutes long which is incredible <laughs> um, because I think the main documentary for The Force Awakens was only like a bit over 60 minutes. So by comparison, that's nothing, you know, that's so insubstantial. But with this, it really does sound like we're getting the real deal, like it's going to be super detailed and super intense in terms of what it covers. And that is so incredibly thrilling. Yeah. Do you remember when the Lord of the Rings DVDs came out and they had all those special edition features and everything? Yes. Were you into that? Oh my god. I just sat and watched those for hours over and over. I love those so much. So I'm hoping that this is kind of on a level with that. Yeah. I feel pretty good about it, to be honest. This really does seem like an amazing package in terms of all the special features they've put together for it. And yeah, like, I think Ryan did a tweet saying, this is more than talking heads and B-roll. But I still hope we get lots of B-roll. Because I really (laughs) like (laughs) B-roll. Me too. And it makes the best gifts. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, it's true. (laughs) Like, I love Ryan, but I, like, want to see behind the scenes of all the, like, filming of stuff. Like, I want to see Adam Driver just in regular clothes stood across from Daisy Ridley when she's dressed as Ray, and then, like, shooting those scenes together. Please, yeah. God. So. I think they'll probably have a whole section on what it was like filming those scenes, because that's a new thing for Star Wars, right? So Yeah. Exactly. So I'm very, very excited for this. And yeah, I reckon we could probably have like a whole spotlight just on the documentary. So there's going to be so much to cover, but that's a good I guess. It's feature length. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of stuff there. Maybe we could have a whole podcast series about it. (laughs) We need to spin things out. (laughs) Exactly. We've got to like hold on until filming for episode nine starts somehow. (laughs) Oh my god. Um... Right. Then the next special feature is Balance of the Force. Explore the mythology of the Force and why Ryan Johnson chose to interpret its role in such a unique way. That's like so fake. Like it could be like anything. Yeah. I'm interested in this though because 
we get all of these little glimpses of things like the the prime Jedi design in the temple and everything and all the stuff that's in the visual dictionary and the art of the last Jedi book. Mm. But it's not really, they don't have time to explore it that much in the movies, right? Yeah. We had all, all of these discussions beforehand about where they could possibly take the lore and stuff. But realistically, it has to be more about the characters and then how these little things feed into those um, developments in the movie. So I'll be, yeah, I'll be really interested to see what they say here. Definitely. It's probably going to be stuff that makes some hardcore fans mad because it's like different to how they interpret the Force. Yeah. No, so I think for some people, like being a Jedi, like that really is a religious thing. So anything that comes in and infringes on their pre existing understanding of what that involves, I think that can be like, what are you doing? (laughs) I don't understand. Yeah, they have to keep this stuff evolving, though, right? Like, mm-hmm. because if it was just the same way we understood the Force in the original trilogy, that there wouldn't be anything new. Exactly, uh, become stale. Um, yeah. So then the next special feature is a scene breakdown, which is called "Lighting the Spark, Creating the Space Battle," and then the description: Get a close-up look at the epic space battle from the sounds that help propel the action through the practical and visual effects. To the characters who bring it all to life. I'm guessing that's the Battle of Dakar? Yeah, I would think so. Because otherwise you just have Crate, right? And That's done that's... separately, Blow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, so that would be cool. Um, it's not the special feature I'm most excited for, but it will still be cool. Have you got any opinions on that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kind of in the same boat. I'll, I'll watch all of it, of course. Yes. Um, and I'm sure there'll be some interesting behind-the-scenes looks at things, but... I'm I'm never really about the battles, although I do, I do think they were done really well in The Last Jedi. Sometimes yeah. I find myself switching off a little bit, but yes. I didn't this time, and, and that is a success for me. So. Exactly, yeah. The Battle of Dakar was definitely one of the most compelling Star Wars battles for me. Like, I wasn't checking out mentally, which I often do. Like, I completely check out mentally in the Battle of Starkiller Base. So I'm just like, come on, come on. There's not too much tension there. You kind of just you know what's going to happen because it's almost like a rehash of that specific part of A New Hope, only Poe doesn't have the Force, so it's it's not really about that character-driven element that it was for Luke. Exactly. Yeah. So then the next one, which I'm much more excited for, Snoke and Mirrors, motion capture and stars collide as the filmmakers take us through the detailed process of creating the movie's malevolent master villain. I love Andy Serkis, like anything he's in is great i really enjoyed him in black panther by the way he wasn't a mocap character in that yeah. he just has this great maniacal energy so he's just wonderful to watch so any chance to see him like without all the cgi on top that would be great mm-hmm. i was really drawn in by snoke in the last mm. Jedi. i knew we were going to get more to him obviously um but the force awakens he didn't really intrigue me that much at all he was just kind of like a standard villain in that um, yeah so yeah, I think they did a really good job kind of drawing you into that side of the story in The Last Jedi. And you're yeah. right, the circus is incredibly talented. So, Yeah, that's actually an interesting thing I've noticed. I've seen lots of people say that, um, oh, J.J. must be so annoyed that Ryan killed off Snoke. I'm sure he had all these amazing plans for him, that he was like, no, he key <laughs> to his vision for the story. Exactly. And he really didn't, because they didn't even have like a solid idea of what Snoke looked like. That's been confirmed somewhere. I can't exactly remember where, but we know that's true. And seriously, if J.J. gave a shit about Snoke, he wouldn't have gone into filming having no idea what this creature even looked like. 
JJ is probably relieved that Ryan killed him. Yeah, exactly. It's so much more fun without Snoke. So yeah, it's a win for him. Yeah, I think if he had been kept alive, it we kind of would be in danger of the last film feeling too much like Return of the Jedi, and that's probably exactly what JJ was afraid of, so Yeah, that's probably why he was so excited to come back, because he really does have this opportunity to create something fresh now, and that's wonderful. Yeah. Then the final scene breakdown. Showdown on Crate. Break down everything that went into creating the stunning world seen in the movie's final confrontation, including the interplay between real-world locations and visual effects, reimagining the walkers, designing the crystal foxes, and much more. What do you think about this one, Kirsty? I'm looking forward to this because I really like the crate elements of the movie. Mm. Um, I don't care so much about the walkers, but I really love the crystal foxes, and I wish there was some merch for them, to be honest. Yeah. Um, the crystal foxes and the caretakers don't have any merch, not that I've seen, mm. and I would like some. So. Yeah. The caretakers are my faves. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, I'm particularly interested in seeing the interplay between real-world locations and visual effects, because um, I think it was maybe in Bolivia where they filmed oh, yeah. some of the crate stuff. And yeah, I'm really curious to see what that looked like completely raw. Um, and then, yeah, how it was taken into the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Absolutely. And I'm really interested to see if Ryan talks. He might do this in The Director and the Jedi, but um, he seems to have spent quite a lot of time thinking about how the Battle of Crate would be symbolically important for the characters in that part of the movie. Mm. With all the with all the red and then the salt healing and stuff like that, so I'll be really interested to hear more about that. Yeah, exactly. I really hope they go into that. Um, then we move on from the scene breakdowns, and we get Andy Circus live. <laughs> One night only. Writer director Ryan Johnson presents two exclusive sequences from the movie, featuring Andy Circus's riveting raw on set performance before his digital makeover into Snoke. I am so excited for this. I think after the feature-length documentary, this is like the thing I'm most excited for. It's going to be so interesting. Okay, so do you think we're going to get him talking to Kylo at the beginning and then talking to Rey when she gets to the throne room? I think it has to be those two because those are the only real two sequences in which Snoke is featured. There's also the scene where he's giving Hux a bollock in, but I don't see them using that because that's just a massive close-up of Snoke's face. Exactly. So that's yeah. not a great showcase for Andy Circus's mocap performance. So yeah, I think the best scenes to use for that would be the throne room scene, like with Rey and Kylo, and then the scene where he's berating Kylo for his weakness. Because, yeah, for me, the thing I'm perhaps most interested in is seeing how the actors bounce off each other like in those circumstances. That's really intriguing to me. Yeah, I think we saw a little glimpse in one of the featurettes. Was it the sound one when um, they had Andy Serkis as Snoke and and Daisy as Ray was right up close in his face? And that's when he's like, I'm going to kill you with the cruelest stroke. Yes, that's um, right. That was a visual effects. Really. Oh, OK. Yeah. So I, I guess it'll be stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be so good. <laughs> I'm excited. Um, yep. And then we move into deleted scenes, um, which includes an introduction and optional commentary by writer-director Ryan Johnson. And yeah, we'll discuss those below in depth, so I don't want to linger on that for now. But yeah, suffice to say, I think we're both very excited about the deleted scenes. And then we get the audio commentary 
which hallelujah it's coming on the first one they're not doing it separately to make us double dip so thank you god and most importantly thank you ryan because i'm sure he's the one who pushed for this so yeah yeah it looks like he's put a lot of work into this Mm, definitely he clearly really wanted to give the fans a really nice package like right from the get-go which i think is lovely because the prequel era dvds they're actually similar to this in terms of being totally stacked with special Mm. features and stuff and yeah, I think Ryan's trying to replicate that type of offering with this. And I think that's lovely. Yeah, it's really cool. Because, I mean, I, I'm guessing that commentaries in that, they take time because you can't just walk in and say things off the cuff, although I'm sure some directors do. Yes. But you want to put some thought into it. And then if he's doing it for deleted scenes, and he has that huge documentary as well. It's, yeah, really exciting. It is, yeah. And I know that he recorded the commentary before the movie even came out. Mm. and i'm really glad he did that to be honest because i think then in a way it will represent in a much purer fashion his actual thoughts about the film and his thinking behind things yeah because i think if he were to record that commentary now like whether subconsciously or not he'd feel compelled to respond to things people have said about it it's kind of like how his interviews have been since the movie right that he is like addressing fan concerns i'm i'm sure he could anticipate some of the concerns people would have um, mm. before the movie came out because he knew that he was taking risks in various ways but you're right that it won't be tinged by I don't know some of the negative responses that he's had and he's talked about I, I can't pinpoint anything specific from it but I do remember when listening to the JJ commentary on The Force Awakens I think that was recorded after the film came out and mm-hmm. I think you can tell that because just some of the comments he makes you can tell he's heard what people have said and he's a little bit salty about it oh yeah so one one example i can think of is um the kylo and han scene when he says oh people have asked me if um kylo was planning this all along and he says Mm. no like that that he genuinely is tempted at this point to go home and then experiences immediate regret once he does what he does yeah like it's going to be a different type of commentary but i think that's so interesting in a way i'd like for all the films to get new commentaries once the whole trilogy has been wrapped up because then they can be completely open about everything because i'm sure there's certain things they can't talk about now because they'd have implications like for going forward like in jj's commentary he was so cagey about certain things like the rain kylo stuff mm-hmm. and in retrospect that's obviously because he knew what ryan was doing in his movie so he could only sort of like hint at it slash dance around the edges um but yeah, hearing them all be fully frank about the intent behind certain things and explore that, that would be really cool. Yeah, definitely. I feel like once JJ does a commentary for Nine, he'll be able to say, and obviously this references this moment in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. Mm. Um, and and Ryan's been able to do that. Even before The Last Jedi came out, he was talking in interviews about the importance of scenes like the interrogation and the fight between them and everything. But yeah. still in veiled terms, like you say. Exactly. Right. And then we have a great long list of deleted scenes because there are a grand total of 14 and I think these titles will come from Amazon France. And yeah, I think it's worth just talking about all of them briefly in turn because yeah, otherwise it just becomes a really messy conversation, which is no fun. Um, So yeah, the first one. Alternative start. And yeah, I really don't have any clue how the movie could open differently, to be honest. Have you had anything about a different opening Kirsty? no i don't know anything about this i've seen some fans speculate that it could be about han's funeral but ryan has said that that was never going to be part of the movie yeah um, so 
maybe it's just a different version of Poe and Hux's interactions. Who knows? Mm. Yeah, exactly. So that'll be interesting. And then we have Paige's gun jams. And I that's pretty self-explanatory to me. It sounds like she's in the bomber. Gun jams. <laughs> <laughs> Probably create some problems. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that because I think she gave us a great performance and it obviously was pretty short. So it'll be she cool did. to see her doing something else. Yeah, I'd like to hear her speak as well. So I think in the actual final cut of the movie, we only hear her yell someone's name. Yeah. So it'd be nice to get a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I don't expect or want like a huge monologue from Paige. <laughs> that'll be saved for the Shakespearean version exactly, of The Last yeah. Jedi, I'm sure. <laughs> and then the next one, Contemplation. Luke has a moment. And yeah, that's intriguing to me. Um, I almost wonder if that's lingering a bit more on Luke learning about Han's death. What do you think, Kirsty? Yeah, I wondered if it could be him inside the hut before Rain Chewie burst in or something like that. Mm. Hard to tell, but yeah. More Luke always sounds good. Exactly. Then we have Bad Dressmaker. Poe, not much of a sewer. (laughs) It's so funny because I look at that the first time and I see sewer. (laughs) Me too. I was confused for about five seconds and then I remembered. (laughs) We'd heard about Poe stitching up the jacket at Finn's bedside, which is adorable. Oh, I hadn't heard of that. I knew he stitched up. I didn't know he did it at Finn's bedside. That's really sweet. Well, that's what I'd heard, but I guess we'll see if that's true. Exactly. And that makes sense because, again, like our Lord and Saviour, Boffin Spy, um, he told us a long time ago that the jacket was stapled up. And so that makes a lot of sense that Poe would have done that. And then that ties into this because, let's face it, using staples to patch (laughs) up a jacket is not great, like dressmaking. It's not a certification of skill in any way. thought that counts. Exactly. He tried. (laughs) (laughs) Then we have holographic reminder. It's kind of weird that you recorded that. And yeah, I think we know what this is, don't we, Kirsty? Yeah, I saw it in one of the the kids' books, like the companion books for The Last Jedi. Um, is it BB-8 shows Finn um, a holographic, well, hologram of mm. um, Rey saying goodbye to him. So we saw that in The Force Awakens, that she kisses yes. him on the forehead and says mm. that they'll see each other again. Um, so it's kind of a, another element of that beginning of Finn's arc that he's um, focusing on Rey and trying to find her. Yeah. Um, so it'll be sweet to see, but I understand why it ended up being cut out because the audience has already seen that part. We saw the first movie, or at least most people watching The Last Jedi have. Uh, yeah. I guess it's kind of a quick recap, but that's not always necessary. So. Exactly. Then we get Angry Guards. The caretaker sizes up Rey. And we've seen actually a very brief clip of this in the trailer for the Junior novelization. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's yeah, you describe it, Kirsty. <laughs> so it's Ray walking up the steps and this caretaker's just like looking at her almost with narrowed eyes <laughs> and like slicing up a fish or descaling it or something and it looks it's got to be intentionally kind of menacing because <laughs> they know what she's about <laughs> yeah it looked very like mean girls to me it was kind of like high school playground antics you know like oh you bitch <laughs> I think maybe I mean at this point I wonder if this is before or after Ray had already kind of destroyed that hut with um, the first Force Bond sequence. What do you think? Because that um, would make sense as opposed to just being like, we don't want you here. 
Yeah, no, her costume in it looks very much like the costume she re- she wears when she runs outside to like find Kylo. And yeah, then they talk to each other. So I almost wonder if that moment comes just after. Um, because, yeah, that would also be just after she's shot a hole <laughs> in that. Exactly. And you can't blame the caretakers for that. So. Exactly. I think it's reasonable. <laughs> then we get Rescue, which is the caretaker village sequence. And yeah, again, this is another sequence we know about. Apparently, this was Luke's third lesson to Ray because he sounds like a complete asshole. Um, <laughs> but apparently, he told Ray that the caretakers were under attack, but he bade her from actually going down to help them, saying that whatever would happen would happen, and that's part of the life cycle of the island that these attacks happen. But Ray obviously is defiant and she runs down anyway. And then she finds that it's just that the menfolk of the caretaker community have just come back for a party. Um, <laughs> and yeah, they're not amused because Ray comes busting in and committing more acts of vandalism. And then we've already seen a brief clip of it, but I think Luke follows her and Ray's very emotional with him and she's really, really upset that he misled her like that. And I think that when he listens to Ray, Luke actually realises that he was a bit of an ass. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I love Luke in The Last Jedi, but yeah, he's not very nice to her. No, he's really mean. Yeah, this is one of the sequences I'm most looking forward to. It definitely sounds like one of the most substantial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and we were kind of teased with it as well, because we got those shots of Ray running along the beach and that in the behind the scenes stuff, like months before the movie, right? So Yes. Oh my god, so much speculation. I have like all these nostalgic memories of looking at that and being like, she's running across the beach to face Kylo Ren. Yeah, because of those fake spoilers. <laughs> we were so misled. Oh god. I'm still hoping that we get a duel between them for nine. Well, we're going to talk about it later in our spotlight discussion, but I-, I need version two of the fight in the forest, wherever that ends up being located. Then we get Pursuit in Favius. Extended Favia chase. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm not particularly excited about this. I'll watch it. Of course I will. I'll watch all of this. But yeah, this feels like one of the least essential parts of the film to me. Yeah, I think it might give us a few cute um, like little details, the Canto bite that we missed. Like, I think I heard that it goes through uh, like bathhouses and stuff like that, which could be yes. pretty funny. But you're right. Like That part of the story... The Favier chase already feels kind of long. So yes. they must have filmed a lot and then decided what to keep in. But yeah, it's clearly stuff that's not essential to the story. Exactly. Then we get Intrusion into the Mega Destroyer, which is an extended version of Rose, Finn and DJ breaking into the Mega Destroyer, essentially. And I kind of imagine this might be where we get various scenes that we heard about but that ended up not being in the film so mm-hmm. like maybe the scenes with Prince William and Harry, maybe the scene with Tom Hardy like hitting Finn on the ass. That would be cool I'd like to see that stuff. I would like to see it yeah so I felt like we were talking about it for so long and then we didn't get any of it so yeah mm-hmm. and then we get Rose rebels Rose bites the hand that taunts her. This is very mysterious to me. I have no idea what this could be. Do you have any theories, Kirsty? I hope it's Rose attacking Hux. <laughs> oh, yes. Because, you know, in the, the behind-the-scenes footage that we got when, when they were all practicing their fighting sequences, mm-hmm. um, you see Kelly practicing kicking ass. And we don't see that that much in the movie, so I was wondering if that was something that ended up being cut. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I would really like that because, yeah, Kelly looked so badass in those training scenes. Then we get Finn and Phasma. Phasma squealed like a whoop hog. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I think I know what this is. Um, We've heard that there's a scene where Finn, after like the holder maneuver, Finn finds some like stormtroopers and he like tells them about Phasma's betrayal. Um, and then Phasma turns up and she actually like shoots the people the Finns just told, evidently shown that she's so ruthless. And yeah, then things pick up again. But yeah, it sounds like an interesting scene, and I do like the use of terminology. I want to know what a whoop hog is, though. <laughs> See, this is the kind of thing. Obviously, I don't know until I watch it, but. It sounds like something that I would have enjoyed to see in the actual movie because mm. it hints at that kind of idea of Finn trying to lead other stormtroopers into a rebellion, right? Yeah. Or trying to get them to at least question, like, open your mind like I did. Um, yeah. More to life than this. So, yeah, we'll see when we get the scene. Um, and then obviously once we get nine, we'll see if that was ever supposed to play into anything there. But Exactly. Yeah. No, it'll be really interesting. Um. We can even see whether it was a sad deletion or a, a justified exclusion. Then we get return of mission. Rose and Finn go to where they belong. Uh, maybe Rose and Finn go into the resistance after the supremacy? I guess there might have been an extra bit filmed of them actually running to get into the ship before they fly away. But mm. I can't I mean, the film basically shows us how they get from A to B, right? So Yeah, maybe it shows them on the ship as they're heading towards the door. Yeah. Because we don't see that. We just see them pop out and go, don't shoot, don't shoot. True. And then, Ray and Chewie in the Falcon. And that is very interesting to me because it's like, well, where does that come? Is it either before Ray gets dropped off to see Kylo? Or after she's like fled the supremacy. I kind of think it has to be after because based on the order of the other scenes, that would definitely place this as after. Like it might even be just a another part of the battle on crate. Like where it's like, Come on, Chewie, you've got a pilot better <laughs> or something like that. But I would love something more like character based, you know, where it's like thinking about what just went down because we never see Ray process that at all. Right. And that is something that I felt was a bit missing maybe. Yeah, it would be cool to see her reflect on something because obviously he's the one who dropped her off. So he knows to some extent what she's going to try and do. Yeah. So if she comes back and it's just her, there's an element of failure there. So it'll be mm. interesting to see how Chewie reacts to that. Exactly. Then we get the costumes and creatures of Canto Bite. And yeah, that sounds more like a featurette to me than a deleted scene. So I'm a bit confused as to what this would involve. Maybe it's just more like scene setting and stuff. Yeah, it could be like the little characters that we never end up seeing explored. Um, mm. People like Lovey, stuff like that. Um, yeah, justice for Lovey. <laughs> but yeah, like you, it, I think it sounds more like a featurette. It's not like a specific moment. It could just be like world building stuff. Yeah, I think that's most probable. Oh boy, that was a long segment. <laughs> but yeah, was a to say. a lot of deleted scenes, unlike with The Force Awakens. I yes. mean, I'm sure there was more film for The Force Awakens, but for whatever reason, they didn't include it in the Blu-ray, so... Yeah. It's in the secret vault for the like 20th anniversary edition, which you know will come. <laughs> <laughs> They've got to make that money somehow. Um, yep. Then the next thing to discuss 
is that J.J. Abrams has revealed that episode 9 has a finished script and starts filming in late July. And yeah, basically these are things that J.J. revealed on Stephen Colbert's late night show in the US. And yeah, there's nothing more to say really because that's just what he said. <laughs> there's no point like reading his words out verbatim because it doesn't add anything. Um, but yeah, how does this make you feel, Kirsty? Excited. Good. Uh, I wasn't sure where they were. Um, because obviously we've known like since Trevorrow left and everything and with Carrie's passing, they've had complications. Um, but it's good to know that there's a script and mm-hmm. um, it sounds like filming is starting later than I thought. I thought mm. it was going to be around May or June. So Yeah, we had her June previously. Um, so yeah, it does seem a bit later, but I guess like it was a matter of tying everyone's availability down. Mm-hmm. So I know Adam in particular has lots of stuff on. And he might have said, okay, you want me? You're not getting me till July. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, like they kind of have to like maneuver around everyone, which is awkward. Yeah, that's got to be pretty complicated to make sure everyone's schedules line up, especially because they've had to delay things. So, yeah. Yeah. And then I guess they're on a kind of a tight schedule to get yeah. things done by next Christmas. Yeah, I think it'd be a push because I think The Force Awakens was quite a last minute thing. Like, and I know JJ was still making tweaks. Like, I think maybe even in early December, which is bonkers. And yeah, The Force Awakens started filming in May. So yeah, like about two months earlier in terms of the equivalent timeline. And yeah, that does mean that they're going to have to work very, very hard. But I'm sure they can pull it off because, yeah, it's a Star Wars movie and people will be prepared to go that extra mile. And mm-hmm. hopefully none of the actors will have significant injuries <laughs> like oh, Harrison yeah. Ford did. Oh, hopefully boy. everything goes smoothly. Exactly. Have a nice tight short shoot. That's all anyone can hope for. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited. And I guess the only other thing to say is that it's just really weird to think that the story is finished in a way now. It's out there. It's been committed to paper. Um, or... A word document, more likely, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that's just a really odd thought. It's like, wow, what's happening is happening, and we just need to wait a long ass time to find out what that involves. Oh. Yeah, the fate of our favourite characters. <laughs> <laughs> Pray for us. Um, yeah, so then I think that's everything that can be said there for now. And the next thing is that a trademark for Star Wars Resistance has been registered. And again, that's pretty much the substance of this. I'm not going to read out the long, long lists of all the things that have been trademarked for this name. But Lucasfilm have done it. And they can have all kinds of merchandise. And yeah, this was reported by Yakface. And basically, this kind of news indicates that they're cooking something up. You know, it could be a mobile game. It could be like a web series like Forces of Destiny. But I think a lot of people are speculating that this may well be the regular animated series that replaces Star Wars Rebels because that's currently in its last season. Um, yeah, and they need something else. And this may well be it. But what do you think, Kirsty? Um, That's my theory too. Um, mm-hmm. And if it's correct or if it's not, we'll find out pretty soon, I think. Once they register it, it's not too long. Um, I think that was the case for Forces of Destiny, at least. Um, mm. And if it is the animated show, Rebels is about to finish, so it would make sense to announce that relatively soon. But yeah, I'm not a PR expert, so <laughs> we'll just see when we see. It's not good enough, Kirsty. No. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. Whatever it is, I'm excited to find out because it clearly relates to the sequel trilogy timeline. So and yeah. that's what we're most invested in. So Exactly, yeah. So I'm really looking forward to this because yeah, as everyone knows, I don't watch Rebels and I'm just not particularly interested. So it's not an era that particularly interests me. But the moment you start going more into that sequel trilogy era, then I'm interested because it feels like it has more relevance to the story going forward and the future of the story, which is what really matters to me. And again, I don't mean this to diss Rebels. I know that many, many people love that. And for many people, it's a really valuable part of the canon. And that's great. Just for me personally, I don't feel that way. And yeah, like I want to be invested in the next animated project they do. And there definitely seem to be higher odds of that happening if it is set around the Resistance and the sequel trilogy timeline. Right. And then the final thing we want to discuss is that we have um, an interview, a very interesting interview, with Michael Semenik on mixing SFX and Foley for Star Wars The Last Jedi. And this interview is courtesy of Post Perspective. And yes, I believe we're going to have Kirsty read for us today. <laughs> so go forth. So they asked, how did you work with the director? There are other areas in the film where we go extremely quiet or take the sound out completely. For example, when Ray and Kylo Ren first force connect, the sound goes out completely. You only hear a little bit of their breathing. There's one time when the force connection catches them off guard, when Kylo had just gotten done working out and Ray was walking somewhere. We took the sound completely out while she was still moving. Ryan loved it because when we were working on that scene, we were trying to get something different. We used to have sound there all the way through the scene. Then Ryan said, what happens if you just start taking some of the sounds out? So I started pulling sounds out and sure enough, when I got the sound all the way out, no music, no sounds, no backgrounds, no nothing. Ryan was like, that's it. That just draws you in. And it does. It pulls you into their moment. They're pulled together even though they don't want to be. Then we slowly brought it back in with their breathing, a little echo and a little footstep here or there. Having those types of dynamics worked into the film helped the scene at the end. Then they asked, what was the trickiest scene to mix in terms of the effects? The moment Kylo Ren and Rey touch hands via the Force connection. That was a real challenge. They're together in the Force connection, but they weren't together physically. We were cutting back and forth from her place to Kylo Ren's place. We were hearing her campfire and her rain. It was a very delicate bounce between that and the music. We could have had the rain really loud and the music blasting, but Ryan wanted the rain and the fire to peel away as their hands were getting closer. It was so quiet, and when they did touch there, it was just a little bit of a low-end thump. Having a big sound there just didn't have the intimacy that the scene demanded. It can be so hard to get the balance right to where the audience is feeling the same thing as the characters. The, the audience is going, no, oh no, you know what's going to come, but we wanted to add that extra tension to it sonically. For me, that was one of the hardest scenes to get. Is there a scene you had fun with? The fight in Snoke's room between Rey and Kylo Ren. That was really fun because it was like wham bam and you have the lightsaber flying around. In those moments, like when Rey throws the lightsaber, we drop the sound out for a split second. So when Kylo turns it on, it's even more powerful. That scene was the most fun, but the trickiest one was the force touch scene. We went over it a hundred different ways to just get it to feel like we were with them. For me, if the sound calls too much attention to itself, it's pulling you out of the story. And that's bad mixing. I wanted the audience to lean in and feel those hands about to connect. When you take the sound out and the music out, then it's just two hands coming together slowly. It was about finding that balance to make the audience feel like they're in that moment, in that little hut, and they're about to touch and see into each other's souls, so to speak. That was a challenge, but it was fun because when you get it, 
and you see the audience react, everyone feels good about that scene. I feel like I did something right. I love this interview. Me too. By the way, when was the last time you saw into your cousin's soul? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, having that conversation and that interaction around a campfire, I just recently watched um, Carrie Fukunaga's Jane Eyre again. And Mm -hmm. they have a fireside scene. I mean, you know the one, right? Uh, Yes. I mean, Jane and Rochester. So Mm -hmm. it made me think of that. Yeah. Being into each other's souls. Yeah. No, I really love this interview. It gives me so much more appreciation for the sound design in the film. Because, yeah, I've heard like the sound guys talk about the process before. And they always make the point of... Well, effective sound design is the sound design you don't notice. Because <laughs> if you're like saying, oh, that sound is really noticeable, then it's not doing its job because it's all meant to be about complementing the other aspects of the film, not mm-hmm. drawing attention to itself. And yeah, like I think the sound design in The Last Jedi is so successful because it does that beautifully. And yeah, like it's so right that stripping away all that sound, like in those internet in those intimate moments between Rey and Kylo that does make it purely about the characters and purely about their physical connection, like especially with the hands and how you're just focusing on that contact between them. And yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Because it brings such a contrast to there's so much. And John Williams's music, obviously it's beautiful. So never complain about that. But Star Wars, you're so used to these big brash battles and action scenes with loud music um, and that's used really well, but to contrast with that and this side of the plot, I think they did a really great job of stripping that away and being quite strict with that. And then you do just get these little hints, like he says, of like Kylo's footsteps and the breathing just as the Force connection hits in the first time. Um, mm. It's it's really well done. Yeah. It's so, so subtle, but yeah, it's just beautifully wo- woven into everything. And I think he's right when he says that they wanted the audience to feel like they were there with the characters feeling that tension and the anticipation of their hands about to come together and touch. Because then once they do, you get the music come in again, right? And you mm. see the looks on their faces. Um, and it's interesting because the audience knows. I think this is what he's referring to when he says, no, oh, no. The audience <laughs> can see Luke's about to burst in. So the audience right. is that side of the scene with the tension. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's done beautifully. Yeah, no, that's a really good observation. And yeah, like it's about really like enveloping you in that moment and in their like states of mind because you really are like just there with them. And I think it is so effective at making you feel what they feel. You you just feel so disappointed when Luke bursts in because they feel disappointed. <laughs> it's like, oh, damn. <laughs> but like, then it goes into now? that. Yeah. It's a turning point for Ray as well, though, right? Because then she turns around and starts accusing Luke of things that he was afraid to share with her um, mm. because they would get to this moment and they did anyway. So, Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love this movie. I need to see those scenes again. Uh... <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about this interview? Um, no, I don't think so. I would recommend reading the whole thing because um, he talks about other things as well. And mm. yeah, the sound in this movie is just great because like you say, it's not something you pick up on the first or even the second time necessarily that you watch it, but on repeat viewings, you can be more conscious of that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Like Holdo are doing the movie with this, the new with the supremacy. Um, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. No, it's really marvelous. And yeah, we should point out that the sound like mixing and sound design for the movie, it got nominated for Oscars. 
So it's clearly been very like highly recognised like on the on the highest of levels. Actually, I hope it actually wins some of those awards because the sound design in the Last Jedi definitely stuck out to me more than in any other film. I think other films had better scores, like Dunkirk's score. Wow, that's amazing. And I say that as someone who loves John Williams, I really do love John Williams, but I don't think the Last Jedi score was the best of the year. But I do think like the sound design, the sound mixing, that probably was the best for me. Yeah, it seems like they're campaigning for it a little bit with these featurettes and interviews coming out. Yeah, definitely. Then we can finally move on to our spotlight section. And this is going to be a slightly weird, yeah, hopefully fun and interesting one. Because the plan is to just go into what we consider to be the questions left open by The Last Jedi. And basically we just want to have like a discussion about, well, how could the film tackle these questions? Where could JJ go with this? Obviously, that means we're basically going to be talking in terms of headcanon and fanfiction. So please, please don't take any of what we're about to say seriously. But we hope you get into like the spirit of the fun. And yeah, if you have any of your own thoughts on how these questions might be resolved and what might happen, we'd actually love to hear from you. So please do feel free to email us at scavengershorde at gmail.com. Right, then, I think with that said, let's start with Ray. Because yeah, she's our heroine, and she's obviously the most important person in the story, so it makes sense to start with her. Yep, the first question that I have here is, what will Rey do, if anything, with the Jedi texts? And also, this isn't in the notes, but just throw it in there. Like, do you think they will have like any implications or any importance for the story? Like, will Rey find anything of note within those books, or do you think if they are referred to at all, they'll just be like a minor? like nods to the events of The Last Jedi rather than a significant thing? I think it's really hard to say because it's the kind of thing that could become a really important element of the plot and I can equally see JJ just kind of ignoring them. Yeah. (laughs) What do you think? Oh gosh, yeah, it's really tough, isn't it? I think it's possible that they could be important. There might be a situation where as an engine of the plot, like JJ wants it to be like a prophecy or some kind of like ancient store of like force power or something nonsense like that, you know, like a MacGuffin almost. And I think it's possible that the books could be used to tie into that. Because if you think about The Force Awakens as compared to The Last Jedi, The Force Awakens was a very like propulsive movie because it was very single-minded in terms of what it was about. It was all about finding the map to Skywalker, getting to Skywalker. And that was the engine of the plot throughout the whole thing. The story obviously isn't about that, and the character development isn't about that, but that is the thing, the impetus that keeps the engine of the story running. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it's possible there could be an equivalent to that and that the books could be part of it. Yeah, I can also see them being used as a device to get Rey and Kylo talking again if... Ray's struggling to understand the concept in there or if she literally can't read them because they're in some strange Mm. Jedi language that only someone who has studied Jedi text before is able to. Mm. We know that Ben is proficient with calligraphy. Yes. (laughs) So who knows? Like, really, it's the kind of thing that JJ can pick up and run with it in in a number of different ways Um, Mm. or they can be left in the dust Um, because I'm, I'm also interested to see if the Knights of Ren ever show up again. Um, yeah they're the kind of thing that they're a loose thread that can be picked up and he can do whatever with it but yeah for lots of different purposes 
Can you imagine? Like, there could almost be like a scenario equivalent to um, Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince, <laughs> where like Ray's reading the books and then she finds like scribblings from Kylo on one of the books. Oh, <laughs> and she's like, ah. Well, because we don't have an awful lot at this point in terms of the way that, that Luke and Kylo's philosophies of the Force differed. Because mm. we've seen Luke reflecting on what the Jedi failed at after the fact. But when yeah. he sees this stuff in Ben's mind and sees him going down a, this bad path and everything and feels like he needs to do something about it, there's not really any specifics in terms of how their philosophies were diverging. It's just like, ooh, darkness, you know? Yeah. So it's possible that it stays on that level, but it would be pretty cool to get some depth there. Um, yeah. Then that opens up. Because we, really at this point, a lot of people's understandings of Kylo's philosophy, both political and to do with the Force, is kind of based on assumptions. Um, we're kind of inferring that he would be following Snoke because he agrees with his philosophies and po- and political beliefs, but that might not actually end up being true. It could be different. Yeah. So it's the kind of thing that Ray could discover through this kind of thing, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, that's really interesting. Right. Then the next questions that we have. To what extent will Ray be involved with the day-to-day running of the Resistance? The Luke of Return of the Jedi was very distant and almost on another plane from Han and Leia at all. Will Ray follow a similarly separate trajectory or be more involved? What do you think, Kirsty? Um Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Again. <laughs> I'm sorry, I know it's really boring. I can see it going either way. Yeah. Because the way that they um have her positioned at the end of The Last Jedi, like rescuing them all, and mm. we know that Finn and Ray are pretty close based on how quickly they formed that relationship in The Force Awakens. Um and she's introduced to Poe now and everything. And hopefully we get some interactions with her and Rose. I feel like she could be quite tight-knit, at least mm. at the beginning of the movie. And then yeah. things happen to kind of complicate that. Like maybe, yeah. maybe Poe or someone discovers the Force connection or how she feels about him or whatever. So, Yeah. No, it's super interesting. I really think it could legitimately go either way. Because I think back to that scene where she's looking at Finn tending to Rose. And... Obviously, like the expression on her face is a little bit mysterious, shall we say? Like you could be read in various different ways. But what I kind of got from it was that, like Ray was like almost a bit wistful, and she was like looking at something that she felt quite separate from, quite detached from. Like, obviously, that's like of course because she's been away from Finn for a while, and he's obviously gone off and done all these other things and met Rose and developed along his own trajectory but I guess there's a question of how much can they like bridge the gap that's formed between them in that time and just go back to the way they were in The Force Awakens because they had like a really close tight-knit bond in The Force Awakens but I think that's of necessity going to have to change and evolve and yeah it's a question of will Rey feel like she still wants to have all those friendships and stuff or will she I feel like it's kind of necessary for her to do what she needs to do as the galaxy's saviour to stay a bit separate from all that and detach herself more from the one she loves. Like, again, I'm not presenting answers, but I think that's like a dilemma that she may be faced with. Yeah. Um, looking at heroine's journey model, I feel like it could go either way because we could have a kind of similar element from Luke and Return the Jedi where he kind of goes back to the home planet but for very different reasons. We could see Ray going back to Jakku to try and make sense of something or trying to make peace with who her parents were or something like that. Um, I, I would 
really be interested to see Ray's evolving understanding of politics because if you look at her life on Jakku, it aside from well, the resistance of the good guys, and I'm not discounting that because this is Star Wars and you do kind of have that barrier between obviously the resistance and the rebellion are the good guys, the Empire and the First Order are evil. Um mm. But I want to know why Ray thinks that, because she's been living on Jakku and yes, that's a wasteland and you you can on the surface level, and I don't know how much the general audience understands, maybe put that down to the first order. But it's not actually. Mm. It's because of the Republic not caring about planets like that. Yeah. So I wonder how much she understands of that and whether it even matters to her. Yeah. Um, because places like that around the galaxy were just kind of ignored. And that was that played an explicit part in the um political situation of bloodline where you mm. you had the this dilemma that um you know they had the republic, but mm. it wasn't all great, <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really good point because I think if Ray were to feel bitter or resentful about that at all, like, I think that'd be very justifiable, like that does feel very like distant from everything we've got so far. Like, it's stuff that's there by circumstance and by implication, but none of it's actually stated or part of the story as such. So, yeah, I don't see that really being explored, but I'd like it if it were explored, so it'd be interesting. Kylo and Rey are divided along very moral standings. Obviously, when Rey says, you know, order them to stop firing on the fleet, doing what's right. Uh, she's trying mm. to save her friends. Um, but I would just be interested to know, because we start The Last Jedi, and she's like, the evil First Order, evil Kylo Ren... I would just be interested to see more of an insight into why she thinks those things. And you yeah. probably won't get it because it's Star Wars and it's simple. But um, I'm just, I would like to see more of Ray's mindset. Yeah, definitely. And I like angry Ray. I like it where a Ray is allowed to be angry and feel like negative emotions. Because, yeah, like, I, I love Ray of Sunshine. <laughs> but yeah, just seeing like sad Ray, angry Ray, like I think that lends her more like depth and like nuance as a character, which I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, so then after that, how do we think that Ray will relate to the other members of the resistance? Um, I think she's going to relate to them. I can I'm interested to see how these relationships develop, especially between mm. Rose and Ray if we get that. Um mm. like I just love seeing more relationships between women in Star Wars. Yeah. Um, but I do think there's going to be some level of separation because none of those characters have the force or at least aren't strong with it in the way that she and Kylo are. So I feel yes. like that could be like a... and I, That's not me dismissing like the depth of Rey and Finn's friendship. Obviously, they ha- they have a very strong one. But this was an explicit theme in The, the Last Jedi that both Rey and Kylo felt alone and felt they could only connect with each other because of what they were going through. Um, yeah. And I, even though obviously the stories evolved from there, and they separated at the end, I feel like it's not going to be dropped as a as a part of the story. Um, yes. So I feel like it could maybe manifest in something like Poe and Ray getting on until they suddenly don't for some reason. Um, yeah. And maybe it's that Poe realizes that Ray has a more complicated relationship with the supreme leader than he does. <laughs> something like that that makes him mistrust her or. Or mm. wonder, like, well, how can we use this force connection to our advantage and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. So there, there are unlimited possibilities, but my headcanons are fueled a lot by what fan fictions I happen to be reading at the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely think there's room for conflict within the Resistance. 
Um, because I think there's a legitimate possibility that we might see that on both sides. So, like a civil war of sorts within the First Order, or at least like a coup d'etat kind of. Um, and then like disagreements and conflict within the resistance. I don't think the resistance conflict would be as extreme. <laughs> so I don't think anyone would be seeking to depose like the leader of the resistance. But I don't think it's all going to be smooth sailing and everyone on exactly the same page. Because I think if that were the case, that would kind of undermine what The Last Jedi did. So the Last Jedi did a really good job of laying all that groundwork for like nuance and complexity, which includes the fact that while you can all be fighting for the same thing, like on a surface level, but then when you look deeper than that, there are different strategies, there are different ways of approaching things, and that can lead to conflicts and disagreements. And yeah, I'd like to see that continued because I think that makes for a more interesting story. Like, I don't think it could be as overt in episode nine because I think it'd be a bit risky to say like have another mutiny <laughs> kind of in episode nine. But yeah, something like Poe discovering that there's this connection between Ray and Kylo and then Ray almost being like cast out or perhaps just voluntarily going into exile because of that. I think that'd be really interesting. Yeah. And I think that would actually be really interesting for Finn and Poe's relationship as well, because I can imagine Finn being, you know, jumping to Ray's defense, even if he doesn't understand the force in the same way, um, fundamentally trusting his friend. And that yes. kind of drive a bit of a wedge between him and Poe, and maybe Finn even trying to go after Ray and help her or something. Yeah. Will the question of her parentage be revisited at all? While The Last Jedi seemed to treat it as a closed case, many people still seem to consider it an open question. Will the film ignore the question or provide a fully definitive resolution? Um, I think there's a chance that it could be, but not in terms of like the focus on who her parents were, but the focus on that closure for Ray. Mm. Like I said, I can imagine her going back to Jakku and yes. maybe looking at how she lived her life there and getting some closure for herself so that she can move forward. But obviously yeah. it would play into different parts of the story. It would have different purposes too. And who knows what those would end up being. But yeah. I, I think there's potential there. Yeah. Maybe if they if they do return to Jakku, it'd be nice to see all that freaking like aftermath mystery <laughs> with the bloody observatory actually come to mean something. <laughs> yeah <laughs> like i am not counting on that trust me i am not counting on that but it would be nice and if they do go back to jakku then that's a thing that's waiting there that could be interesting and provide drama so yeah yeah i i do find all of that stuff interesting but that's the kind of thing that i wonder how closely jj and terrio are uh, working with the story group and whether they would have input on those kind of things yeah. If they wanted to go back to Jakku, um, someone like Pablo could be like, well, did you know we have all of this stuff in the backstory about that planet and Emperor and stuff like that? And then it would be like a possibility for those things to be picked up. But yes. It could easily be overlooked too. So. Yeah. So don't count on it, kiddos. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you, Kirsty. I think that if it is revisited, it won't be like a question of like getting like a documentary style like section where we see Ray's parents having sex, like conceiving Ray, and then we like have a close up zoom into the mother's like womb, and then we see the baby developing until like it's tiny infant Ray, and then we like have like a staggered like almost stop motion sequence where we see her grow up until she's been abandoned with Uncle Plot. Um, <laughs> you know that would be the only proof that would work for some people, and I'm sure even if that were provided, some people would still find a way around it. 
I think those people must enjoy storytelling in a fundamentally different way from how I enjoy it. So (laughs) (laughs) they'll do what they need to do to develop Rey as a character. So if she needs that closure and if they decide actually the end of The Last Jedi is her closure, then that's totally valid too. I'm up for whatever JJ decides to do. Exactly. Yeah. So I think if it is revisited at all, it will only be revisited in terms of what it means to Rey and her development going forward. It won't just be about satiating fan curiosity. <laughs> um, right. Then we have Rey's journey in The Last Jedi involved her accepting that the galaxy needs her, not Luke or Ben, to be its hero. Do you have any idea about how her trajectory in Nine could build on this? Oh boy, it's so hard. I think for me, in terms of this question, the only thing I can really think of is this idea of like being an inspiration. Because Luke was a hero by like inspiring this next generation with his story and inspiring them to action. So I could see Rey becoming like a figurehead for the Resistance, like this poster child. And then through the establishment of her own legend as this like hero of the Resistance, like fighting to restore the Republic, I could see that like sowing the seeds for her heroic legacy. And yeah, like maybe may, I don't know, maybe she gets some like Jedi kids like to come and hang around and start teaching them. But I don't see her like establishing like a Jedi school. Or anything like that. I think if there are other Force users who are drawn to the Resistance, like after hearing about what Luke did and after hearing what the Resistance is trying to achieve, then I think it's possible that Rey could work with them to try and learn more about the Force and like become strong to fight back against the First Order. But I don't think it's going to be like a Jedi Temple 2.0 situation because I don't think that will ever work again. And I think Rey knows that. Yeah, I mean, The Last Jedi kind of sets up the possibility i don't agree with people thinking that broom boy is going to be the jedi um no but i think it like it symbolically sets up the idea that there are obviously these other force users out there and there's potential for ray to find them and help them um and for them to help her so it could be an element um just yeah maybe not so explicitly i'm i'm wondering how many new characters jj will end up creating because the last yeah. Jedi had a lot of new characters. Yeah, same. I don't see there being so many like new significant ones as there were in The Last Jedi. Yeah, same. But I think maybe one or two. Because, yeah, there are lots of people missing now. Yeah, I think inevitably the story gets pared back down again. But they'll need to bring in some to generate conflict in various ways. Exactly, yeah. So that'll be interesting. I'm very eagerly awaiting it, like the first casting announcements for that reason. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be most interesting. And then the final question about Rey is, will Rey be shown to have anything left to learn or require further training from Luke? Or will she simply learn from experience, develop her own wisdom? What are your feelings about this, Kirsty? And I guess more pertinently, like what would you want to be the case like in terms of your personal preference? I think we could get an interaction between Rey and Force Ghost Luke because really the way that they part in The Last Jedi... They didn't really resolve their own personal conflict, um, mm-hmm. at least not directly. I know there's the whole peace and purpose thing, but really I feel like Luke needs to explain himself more to Ray and to the audience. We're definitely going to get Luke in some form. So whether it's for Ray or for Kylo or for both, I feel mm-hmm. that's a done deal almost. Um, mm. But 
yeah, I, d- I definitely think that Ray has more to learn. And what we were talking about with the Jedi text plays into that is just in terms of how they end up showing that. Like, yeah. it's going to have a lot more development for sure. Because really, at the end of The Last Jedi, and I've seen people complain about how it doesn't change enough between um, the good and evil divide. But I think it does. It's just not resolved. And they don't have time to reflect at the end, or at least Ray doesn't. Kylo seems to be reflecting a little more. Um, yeah. So I, I think she does have stuff to learn because I think mm. she's she's realized that things aren't actually quite so simple and she now cares for someone who is on the evil side, right? Mm. So there has to be some resolution in some way there. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Like, I definitely think there's stuff left for Ray to learn um, because, yeah, I guess in a way it's a little bit like the Luke situation in The Empire Strikes Back. He runs off before his training can be completed and obviously he vows to return, but in the end he returns and Yoda's dying, so Yoda can't really teach him anymore. But it turns out that like Yoda's like, ah, it's fine, you'll do okay. <laughs> 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 that's not what happens, but that's the spirit of what happens, you know? Um, yeah, so it's interesting to think about that, um, because I do think Luke will probably try to be more of a responsible teacher. Um, in that I do think he will try to be there for Ray and try to offer her that help and guidance that he like perhaps didn't have because he clearly went quite badly wrong like as a Jedi because of his failure with Ben and I think if Luke has an arc like such as it is in episode 9 it'll be about him trying to atone for that and trying to like make up for the mistakes he did with Ben by like training Ray to be better and helping her to learn from her failures and help and helping her to learn from his failures as well. So yeah, I think that there's lots of interesting potential there. Yeah, exactly. I'd like to see Ray and Luke make some kind of peace between themselves. Right. So I think we've said a lot about Ray. And now let's move on to good old Kylo Ren. Kylo is now supreme leader of the First Order, but he certainly didn't seem happy about his new position at the end of The Last Jedi. His overriding emotions seem to be regret and sorrow. So yeah, like I guess it, in episode nine, where do we like see Kylo the ruler? Like, how do we see that playing out? Like, if we see it playing out at all, like, do we think he'll still have the reins of power at the start of the film? Um, I guess it depends how much of a time jump we end up getting. I wonder when we'll actually find that out, whether it'll be early on or not till later. Um, I could see that being like a celebration 2019 sort of reveal because it's the kind of thing where it's not really a spoiler but it's still an exciting detail. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I agree that he did not seem happy at the end of The Last Jedi but I still feel like he wanted to rule the galaxy. He just wanted to do it with Rey and then obviously that's not happened. Um, yes. But this is the thing I was talking about earlier where a lot of Kylo's own personal and political beliefs have almost been intentionally obscured or at least they're just not there in the narrative right now so jj can take it in a number of directions so mm. i have a couple of different headcanons that kylo could be like trying to be a very different supreme leader from house Snoke was and that's why he wanted to take over it wasn't just about personal ambition although mm. that could have played a part um yeah or that he's just completely unfit and that's why we could get something like hux trying to stage a coup um that kylo is just not interested in the political side of things and really was just kind of trying to act out of saving Ray, um, cutting down the person who'd made his life miserable, but then not really thinking beyond that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, again, it could go in a number of different ways. Do you have thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, it's so interesting. So I guess, like you say, there's this question of 
how much of a plan, if any plan, does Kylo have for what sort of ruler he's going to be or how he's going to rule? Because, yeah, like, heavy is the head that wears the crown or some kind of phrase like that. And, yeah, like, there's going to be massive responsibilities involved in, like, the business of ruling and the business of maintaining that grip on power. And I guess... It's really going to be crunch time for Kylo because we're really going to see what sort of person he is. Because if he just becomes like a tyrannical dictator who's obsessed with more and more power, like purely for selfish reasons, then it doesn't look very good for like his future fate and like any chances of redemption and stuff. But if we do see him as like a ruler who does genuinely have a vision and does genuinely like on some level want to help people and want to improve things and make things better. I think then that would be really interesting. So I feel like there has to be differentiation between Supreme Leader Kylo Ren and Supreme Leader Snoke. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, Supreme Leader Snoke was pretty much like your textbook evil overlord. And I don't think it's just going to be a question of swapping out one evil overlord for another. I think Kylo's reign is going to have a very different flavour. And I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see that pan out and the sort of ramifications it has like on every level, like even for the First Order as an organisation. Because, yeah. yeah, it's going to be affected a lot by its leadership. Yeah, I really love the idea of Kylo and Hux having very different political beliefs in how the First Order should be run. And we got a taste of that, obviously, in The Force Awakens. And mm-hmm. we know that Hux himself was very ambitious and saw himself as potentially a future supreme leader. So mm-hmm. they have to differ in how they would choose to rule. Um, and I think yeah. that Kylo and, and Snoke, like you say, would differ as well. Um, because I feel like there has to be a reason for why we haven't had Kylo Ren <laughs> giving up these long political monologues of like what he stands for. Um, yes. I feel like that's going to be something of a twist in the movie. At the end of the day, this is Leia Organa's son. So he has something to say. We just haven't heard it yet. I feel like that's what it's going to be. Um, and then yes. I feel like they're going to expand on what the Republic stood for, what the Resistance want the Republic to stand for now, like if it's if that's what they're trying to to form again, like how will it be different mm. from the last Republic, which had its own set of problems, so yeah, I think it's going to move. So I can actually see that being a theme, because in episode 9, we're presumably going to see Poe become the leader of the Resistance, and we're going to see Kylo as leader of the First Order, and I think that'll be a really interesting theme to consider, like how does their leadership change the organisations that they lead? And, yeah, like, how do you handle that burden of being in command? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think there's lots of really interesting, like, room for that. And, yeah, like, I think the internal politics in the First Order is just going to be a complete nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) To be honest. Um, Because, yeah, I guess, like, Kylo is very much the church to Hux's state. Or at least that's what he was. So... Yeah, like there's going to be lots of conflict there immediately because Kylo is just a much more spiritual person. He's attuned with the Force, and Hux is like the opposite of that. He's very unattuned <laughs> with the Force. Um, so yeah, like seeing how they clash is going to be really fascinating. So again, this kind of ties into what we were talking about because we don't know if there's going to be a time jump yet or not. Or we figure that there is going to be one. We just don't know how long. So mm. do we see Kylo lasting as Supreme Leader throughout the movie or will he start in that role and not be in it but towards the end? I would be shocked if he is still Supreme Leader at the end of the film. 
to be honest. I'd be very surprised. Yeah, same. There's going to have to be some form of change because um, mm. there has to be a resolution to the conflict in some way. So that's that's what we currently have. Kylo is supreme leader. Um, yeah. So whether the First Order comes crumbling down or whether it's the First Order and the Resistance somehow coming together to create a new Republic or a new new Republic. <laughs> Whatever it is, things have to change in some way. Exactly. Yeah. Like my personal headcanon at this point, just based on what we know about Hux and his ambitions, which we'll get into more later, is that like Kylo will be ousted as Supreme Leader and Hux will take over. But there's lots of interesting questions to ask about how Hux would manage that, and we'll get to that in a moment. Um, yeah, the question I want to ask before that is, will the Knights of Ren be drawn into the story? If so, what sort of role would they play? Would they be anonymous henchmen, like the Praetorian Guard, or actual characters? We know JJ was keen on doing a Knights of Ren spin-off, which suggests he had some exciting ideas. So yeah, what do you think about this? Um, I don't think they would be like the Praetorian Guards. Um, or at least no. if they were included in the film, they have to be different from them. And I feel like there's a strong chance that if they include them, um, they're going to be former pupils of these two. Yes. Um, so I feel like they're going to have relationships with Kylo in various capacities. So. Yeah, exactly. I think that The Last Jedi strongly hinted at that with the whole line about Kylo taking some of the other students with him when he betrayed Luke. So I'd be surprised if they went a different way in terms of who the Knights of Ren are. And I think that has really fascinating implications because if the Knights of Ren are people who trained with Kylo when he was like a young man or a teenager, then there are going to be bonds there. Like whether like he wants them or not, they're going to have like long lasting relationships. And I think they'd have to be explored at least on some level because I know that like Ryan, his reasoning for not making the Praetorian Guards the Knights of Ren was that he didn't want it to complicate it in any way. And if it had been the Knights of Ren, then Kylo would have had these personal relationships with and that would complicate things in a way that didn't work for the scene. And yeah, I think you'd be missing a narrative opportunity to have those characters and just make them completely anonymous henchmen. I think that has to be more to them than that. I will also say there's the horrible possibility that the Knights of Ren are dead and that um, mm. Ben was ordered to kill them as part of his initial test by Snoke. Oh, wow. That is interesting. Because if they are yeah. former pupils, I feel like that could be part of it. Yeah. Because there obviously needs to be an explanation for why they did not show up physically in The Force Awakens or The Last Jedi. And yeah, them being dead, that is a very legitimate explanation. And I think it's really either that or Snoke kind of ordered that they be sent off like on missions to, like I don't know, like, do a reconnaissance or like find things for him, you know, like basically like errand boys. <laughs> um, because I think it would be in Snoke's interests to keep them separate. Because I think he's perfectly capable of dealing with one conflicted, like, hormonal young man. Well, by himself. not so much. Yeah, well, definitely not by The Last Jedi. <laughs> but in Force Awakens, he was totally on it. He was completely in control and it was all good. Until the girl. But, yeah, it all went wrong. Yeah, before the girl. Yeah, that's when adolescence truly hit in. Um, but yeah, like, I think it was sensible for him to isolate Kylo like that, to make sure he didn't have anyone to depend on apart from him and having Knights of Ren around would completely undermine that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, they had to be taken out of the equation somehow 
whether by death or not, that's kind of not the point. We know that Snoke isolated Kylo from them. So it's possible that like Kylo gets the band back together. And yeah, if they are alive, which I hope they are, they are because I think there's so many interesting possibilities and it would be so disappointing. But I, I'm not counting on any of this, of course. It's just fan wish fulfillment and stuff. Then, yeah, I really want to see them as individuals. I wouldn't want to just see them masked all the time, for example. Like, And I think that if there are significant new roles in Episode Nine. I think that one of them would be like a key Knight of Ren, something like that. Because, yeah, I think... And again, this is complete headcanon, complete fanfiction, whatever you want to say. I think that if Kylo is overthrown, then I think that the Knights of Ren might be part of, like, that overthrowal of Kylo. Like, as part of, like, the queue. Because I don't see Hux being able to pull that off himself because he doesn't have the Force. He wouldn't be able to supersede Kylo in that way. But if it were Hux and the Knights of Ren somehow, that they both groups decided they didn't like Kylo and they wanted to oust him as Supreme Leader. Maybe they disagreed with what he was doing, whatever. Like, then I think that could work and that could successfully get rid of him. Mm. Um, And then I think you kind of need a new figurehead for the First Order. Um, Whether that's Hux or one of the Knights of Ren... I think that would be the way it would go. But yeah, I blathered on a lot there. What do you think about what I'm suggesting there, Kirsten? Well, I've read that in fanfiction at this point, so <laughs> I think it's possible and it can be done very well. Um, but yeah, like like you say, it can either be that they're alive, they're dead, they've been taken out of the picture in some capacity, um, that Hux could use them because we know that he's like a sneaky little weasel um, and it would add yes. to yeah, like this it would be like a reckoning moment for Kylo as well. If he has these longstanding relationships with these former pupils that, that came with him after Luke, but are now saying, mm. actually, no, we stand with the order and not with you. That could yeah. have some epic drama. Um, yeah. And he really, he probably does need to be shown as really alone before there's some kind of reconciliation with Rey. Yeah. Um, one or the other or both of them, they need to be put in some kind of desperate situation. Like they really need to get to a low point. So. Yeah. No, so I think obviously we know that emotionally he's at a complete low point at the end of The Last Jedi. Like, but in terms of his status, he's like at the very, very top of everything. He literally could not go higher. So I think he needs to crash right to the bottom. Exactly. And like you say, have everything taken away from him and then he can build himself back up. Especially if things are being taken away because he's making right decisions, you know? Mm. Um, I feel like it could be very powerful. Exactly. Siv like Kylo were to do things like based on his mother's example or like try to make positive changes. Well, because it it draws more parallels between um, mother and son, which we're going to need in episode nine in lots of different Mm. creative ways. Um, Definitely. But yeah, like that then would endear the audience more to water redemption because Hux would be staging this coup because Kylo was making what we would call benevolent decisions, I guess, in terms of how he rules. Um, and mm. that's not what Hux wants. Hux wants to be evil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, and I think that would really underline the ideological differences between them, because right now people don't really see that. I think in terms of the mainstream, we ob- we obviously do, um, but I think people just see them. They're both on the first order, and yeah, there's conflict between them. They're squabbling, but they're broadly on the same side, you know. And I think it really needs to be driven home that no, actually, ideologically, these people, even though they're superficially on the same side 
they're vastly different in terms of their beliefs and their opinions about where things should go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel there's a lot of potential in the role of Hux um, for Nine. That I know that he was used for a lot of comedic relief in TLJ, but I think towards the end it really was set up that he could pose a significant threat for Kylo. Yeah, exactly. I I do think he's very dangerous. It's like we even have that moment where he's like pulling out his blaster to literally shoot Kylo while he's sleeping. Yeah, well, I think the most dangerous part of it is that Kylo doesn't take him seriously because he has the Force and therefore thinks that he can overpower Hux in every situation. Yeah. But Hux is going to outsmart him somehow. Exactly. Yes, Hux is clever in a manner of speaking. He also flies off the handle and gets too emotional about things, but hey-ho, we're not all perfect. So. <laughs> Are you saying that Armitage Hux isn't a perfect individual? Yeah, I'm a Hux apologist. I'm sorry. I just need to admit that right now. <laughs> army forever. Oh my god, army. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Sorry, I sound like a guinea pig when I laugh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I really do think it's a safe bet to say that Hux will be plotting against Kylo in episode 9. I'd be very surprised if JJ didn't take advantage of that. Um, and yeah, like I think there's a big question mark over what becomes of Hux's plotting. There's a chance he wouldn't be successful. There's a chance it would fail and Kyler would be like, haha, nope. Um, but I kind of hope he is successful. Like I'd like to see at least a glimpse of Supreme Leader Armitage Hux. <laughs> <laughs> that would be lots of fun. Yeah. And he would be so happy. Just think about it, like a nice little smile on his face. Oh my god. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Right, okay, a tough one. How confident do we feel in Kylo's redemption? It feels like almost all bets are off for his future. Is that you playing devil's advocate? Come on, he's getting a redemption of some kind. Yeah, I think I was being a bit of a devil's advocate. Yeah, I, I, he's getting redeemed. Yeah. yeah. I guess maybe I should have, to make it more fair, I should have gone more like, will Kylo be redeemed and live? Because I think then that is more of like a question mark. But yeah, I'm like 80% sure that he's going to be redeemed. Yeah, it, and it just depends on what that might look like. Because again, redemption mm-hmm. isn't like a this this specific thing has to happen. Um. It's just in terms of him coming to realise that he's made mistakes, <laughs> to put it mildly. Yes. Um, but I think he's already on the way to that. So it just det- in terms of how that plays out in Nine, but it can go so many different ways. And I feel like I'm repeating myself again here. Um, I'm pretty confident in that. Yeah, no, same. So just one more Kylo question. Do we see Kylo surviving and the Skywalkers continuing beyond episode nine? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think it's more likely than not, like, that he will both survive and that the Skywalkers will continue. Um, I think there's a possibility of, like, us being wrong in, on that, um, because, yeah, there's no way of being certain at this point. But I think it would be bizarre and very strange, especially from a business point of view, for them to say, nope, brushing our hands of it, that's the end. So they've made such a big deal of this being the Skywalker saga, and... Like, I know that they're also doing these other types of movies, like with the Ryan Johnson trilogy and the Benioff and Weiss trilogy, um, or series of films, I should say. Um, So it's not like they're putting all their eggs in one basket of the saga films. But I think they know full well that those are always the films that people are going to get most excited about and people are most invested in. 
And if you completely remove that Skywalker element, then it does kind of feel like you've removed a core component from that. Because I'm not saying every saga film going forward needs to have a Skywalker protagonist. Rey demonstrates that because she is not a Skywalker. But I think you kind of at least need the presence of that line in there somewhere, you know? Yeah, I would be surprised if we never get another episode 10. Do you know, like, that's what it comes down to, right? Eventually, we would probably get the next part of the story, even if it is 10, yeah. 15 years in the future, because obviously they are bringing out these different stories, and that's great. Um, but I think part of the reason they were so coy about who were raised parents for The Force Awakens um, was because it wasn't clear that Kylo was the last one, and therefore the audience wasn't as invested in him at that point. But now the audience really is invested in him because they've drawn more parallels with him and his parents, him and Luke. That story's a bigger part of the background to the trilogy. Um, So it's very clear by the end of The Last Jedi that Kylo is the Skywalker. um, Mm. And that makes him important in the narrative. Whereas before The Force Awakens, people maybe dismissed him as just this antagonist or villain. Um, Yeah. So whether he lives or dies, he is very important to the overall story. Uh, Yes. So I think there's a chance that he dies. But Mm. if he does die, he's definitely been redeemed. So yeah. um, Yeah. Exactly. I'd basically say the chances of Kylo ending the, the trilogy as Supreme Leader, like evil and unrepentant, I would say there is there is zero chance of that, in my opinion. Um, and I know it's dangerous to say zero percent chance of anything because then you'll be an absolute. And <laughs> no one should deal in absolutes. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we can yeah. we can post a video on YouTube of you eating your hat if that happens. So. <laughs> oh my god, that'd be really disgusting. No, I, I'm with you. I don't think there's any chance of that happening either because he's supreme leader at the end of the Last Jedi, so that that's not a resolution to the story. Yeah, it's not great narrative progression. <laughs> Right. Okay. And then we get on to a subject that we've kind of danced around in terms of our spec. Um, but that is Ray and Kylo together. So, yep. The first question Will the force bond still be intact? If so, how do we see it being utilized, activated? Um, yes, it will still be intact, in my opinion. Because I feel mm-hmm. like that was such a crucial element of the story in The Last Jedi. And it was so popular, most people loved it. I'd be very surprised mm-hmm. if JJ was like, no, we're going to do away with that. That's not going to be a thing. But yeah. um, if there's been a time jump, a significant one, I feel like it's possible that it's been somehow blocked or one of them, probably Ray, <laughs> was able to keep it closed until something happens in episode nine to open it up again. Yes. Something like that. Because there has to be some level of separation now that they've come together and been parted again. Because yeah. Again, I'm I'm drawing from stories like Jane Eyre, you know. <laughs> Um, there has to be that separation while Ray develops on her own and figures out what she wants a bit more. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's very important to show that Ray's in control of the situation. Like, she needs to be the one like who kind of lets him in, if she so chooses. It can't be a question of him like constantly like hammering on the door, let me in, let me in. <laughs> like, I'd prefer to see a situation where she needs to ask him something or... Like she decides she needs to know something that only he would know, and then like activating it reluctantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be done in any number of different ways. It could even be about Leia. Yeah, so I've speculated in the past that the film could open perhaps with a funeral scene, because 
I do think that would be worthwhile and important in a way that a funeral for Han wouldn't be because I think the circumstances are so different because I, I do think you can ignore the real world ramifications for a, a character passing like that you know because Harrison Ford is still with us thank god so obviously while it's very sad that like Han Solo dies and you really buy into the emotion of that scene in the movie it's not like you're actually grieving for the person who realized that character whereas with Leia and Carrie because Carrie did actually pass away then there is that really strong element of grief from the audience and I think there would be like a real element of catharsis to having a big funeral scene for her at the start of the movie I'm not saying they have to do that and obviously they should do whatever works best for the story so if a funeral scene would jar or it wouldn't fit the story JJ wants to tell, they shouldn't do it. But I think there's a better case to be made for having a funeral scene for Leia. And I think if they do do that, then that could be used as like the kickoff point of the story. Because I think that kind of event would really un- unite Rey and Kylo in a way. Because yeah, Leia is someone that they both clearly loved in their own ways. And I could see them like reaching out to each other over that. Like, even though they'd both obviously still be angry, <laughs> especially Ray towards Kylo. I'm not even sure that Kylo would be angry towards Ray at all, though that's a question mark. Um, yeah, but I think that'd be an interesting way to do it. And in a way, we'd kind of like be grieving through them as well. They'd be like the conduits for the audience's emotional responses to that. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, I've rambled like crazy. <laughs> no, I agree. I feel like that is really right ground for development because there there is this misunderstanding going on between them right that they both feel rejected by the other um for different reasons so kylo could act like in this way that you you get a taste of at the end of the last jedi that he's angry and feels scorned and mm. almost humiliated so maybe he then like has this thing of like he thinks that Ray was using him to turn him and she thinks the same about him. And then through their interactions, it comes out that they both actually had genuine feelings for each other. I'm writing fan fiction here, but that's, that's part of the fun. <laughs> yeah. Fan fiction is very fun. So. <laughs> a, oh. I, I still, honestly, when I think about the last Jedi, I'm like, Oh yeah, this really was one of the many fan fictions that I read in that time period waiting for the movie. So. Mm, exactly. It's a very fertile ground. Yeah, so I guess just to build on what we've just been talking about, like in terms of keeping it focused, how would we say that they're going to feel about each other at the start of episode nine? And yeah, like how will that compare to their feelings and their emotional journey in The Last Jedi? Yeah, I mean, I I do feel like it has to contrast with how things started up between them in The Last Jedi. So obviously we had Rey very angry with him and Kylo was more fascinated by how the force connection worked and and wanting to talk to her about things um Mm. so in a way i wonder if it could start with kylo feeling upset not necessarily angry in like an obvious aggressive way but that he feels betrayed by her choice to reject him and go back to the resistance and for them both Mm. to feel like i said before that the other one didn't necessarily care about them they just wanted to turn them to their side for political causes yeah, like I think that could tie into like the whole Rose speech that we've discussed before about like saving what you love. Because I think like, ultimately this trilogy is going to come down to anything. It's going to come down to that personal relationship between Rey and Kylo. It's not going to be like about their causes as such. It's going to be about them as individuals. And then everything else will follow on from that. 
Because I think, in a way, The Last Jedi showed that what went wrong for them was that they did ultimately put like the political before the personal because there was something very pure and very beautiful about like their interactions just as human beings. And they were so incredibly like in sync and in tune with each other on that level. And it was beautiful. But then the moment like they let that relationship become muddied by their other allegiances and their ambitions and their plotting, then everything fell apart and became like sullied in a way. Like I'm not saying that people should like abdicate responsibility for larger causes because I think that would be totally anti ethical to the message of Star Wars. Oh yeah, it's actually great that that didn't happen at the end, right? That they still held mm. to their principles. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the story will ultimately about how you reconcile those two things. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's going to be about that process of reconciliation and like something's got to give for one of them basically. And in my view, the most likely scenario is Kylo realizing that like his love for and compassion for Rey that far outweighs any ambition he has for like power or like prestige. Like, and he realizes that that personal connection is so much more important and yeah, then acting on that. But again, it's going to be so interesting to see how that's tackled because I think it's important to handle that in such a way where it's not just about him being like, oh, I'm so in love. <laughs> like, he still needs to hold on to, like, his principles in a way. He just needs to learn to apply them in a healthier way that doesn't involve him being at the head of a fascist regime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it has to be about Ray realising some truths as well. Um, so mm. it's not, like, about putting them on a level playing field and being like, well, Ray is just as wrong as Kylo, because we've had that conversation about The Last Jedi and while there's misunderstandings between them in the throne room, you can't do anything but side with Rey in terms of her morality because she's trying to save the Resistance and Leia and Finn and everyone. Uh, mm. So it's not just about that, but I, I do think that Rey is going to develop and, and realise some things. Not necessarily worth compromising for, but there's going to be more to her story because there has to be. Mm. So because we have this misunderstanding going on between them now, it, it can't just be about Kylo realising things. I feel like Ray has to... I'm struggling for the right word because we don't know what the thing is going to be. Um, yeah. But just through their coming interactions, I feel like she's going to have to maybe realise that things are more complicated than she thought. Yeah. And I think maybe, like again, we're taking leaps and bounds ahead and becoming heavily speculative... I think maybe if they do go with that idea of both of them in a way being rejected by their own sides, like if Poe discovers like the bond between Rey and Kylo and like Hux overthrows Kylo, and then they're thrown together under those circumstances, I think that would cause like a reassessment and they'd have to like work out something new together, you know, to like find a way forward between themselves. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I'd also love that. Oh yeah, definitely. I know it's like a um, trope in Raylo fan fiction, but yeah, I'm shameless. So. Oh yeah, but that's kind of what we're going with, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, and the things about Raylo those and proud thing about those tropes is that they can work out in so many different ways, and there are things that were in the Last Jedi that I'd seen in various capacities in fan fiction before, but it's not the same story. So things are slightly different. Yeah. The the story beats are different. Exactly. Right. And then we have another question. Will there be any ramifications from their team-up in The Last Jedi? For example, could their respective sides learn of the Force Bond, the true circumstances of Snoke's murder? What could the consequences of this be? Um, I, I briefly touched on this before, 
But I think there's a really interesting question over what would happen if, like, Hux and co, like, did learn about, like, Kylo's true betrayal of Snoke. Because I think Hux must at least heavily suspect Kylo. Kylo's a terrible liar. Yeah, exactly. He's a terrible liar. And, like, Hux doesn't even like Kylo or have any reason to trust Kylo, (laughs) as far as I can tell. So, yeah, I think he's heavily suspicious, but he doesn't really have a way of proving it. So I think maybe he needs some kind of more definite proof. I love the idea of there being like a hologram recording of what happened in the throne room and then Hux, like an underling coming to him with it and him being like, aha, I have you now, Kylo Ren. You have feelings (laughs) for the girl and you killed Snoke. (laughs) I'd love that. Like Kylo Ren, supreme leader of the First Order, brought down by CCTV. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But yeah, I would love to see that kind of revelation, like just because of the kind of chaos it would cause within the First Order. And that would just be so delightful. Um, Yeah, so that would be a really interesting turn of events. And yeah, I also love the idea of like anyone on either side discovering that there's this weird ass force bond between like Rey and Kylo. Because what would they even see? It would be so funny if like raised in the middle of an argument with Kylo (laughs) and someone just sees her. And, like, talking, like, stomping, and being like, oh, how could you, Ben? (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, my gosh. I think I've seen fan art of that, so (laughs) I'm being influenced. But, yeah, I would just love it. And I think there's also an interesting opportunity for humour there. Oh, yeah. Finn walks in and he's like, what is going on? (laughs) Who's Ben? Mm. And, like, can you remember a few months ago that we heard about JJ getting the rights to Your Name, the anime film? Yeah, I haven't seen that yet, but I've heard lots of good things. Oh, wow. You really need to see it. I so strongly recommend it. It's beautiful, and I think you'd love it. Um, But, yeah, like, I'll try not to spoil anything big, but basically, like, the premise of it is that it's this boy and girl, and they find themselves just swapping into each other's bodies at random intervals. And kind of like living each other's lives to an extent. Oh my god, is it going to be episode 9 Freaky Friday? <laughs> Ray's like, ooh, I'm supreme leader. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> that would be amazing. But well, maybe he could. Wow. I hadn't actually taken it that far mentally. <laughs> but wow. Yeah, if JJ goes there, you man, you have serious balls, JJ. I, I am desperate to see Adam Driver as Ray. Or more importantly, Daisy Ridley trying to act Adam Driver acting Ray. Oh dear. That'd be incredible. Wow. Um but yeah, basically in your name, there's all these scenes of like these two young people trying to like figure each other out and like getting like angry and frustrated because while they're in each other's bodies they can't act actually talk to each other. They're like still separate. Mm-hmm. And so they have to kind of like find ways of communicating and their behaviour is all strange and like it earns the attention of their peers because they're like, why are you behaving like such a weirdo? Because they just see the person they always see and they don't realise that it's this other person in their friend's body. Um, yeah, and I just wonder if there's ways that certain scenarios from that film could be woven into episode nine. I think it's possible <laughs> because if if we've seen the Force Bond already, they're kind of it's possible that JJ would want to show the Force Bond again, but in a different way. Right? So yeah. if they're intermingling, like if the Force Bond continues to develop, it might be, because we, mm. we saw it develop almost across the film, like that they could physically touch. Um, yeah. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe they start to like go into each other's 
minds and yeah it's it's far more i don't know what the word is but they're more intertwined than we thought and then that's like a i would love and then what if poe realizes and there's like a security risk he's like i I can't (gasps) tell if i'm talking to you or kylo ren and we could be you know you could be getting all these secrets and (laughs) yeah oh my god i would love it so so much and seriously if that is the case just the four of like JJ like getting a panicky panicked call from Kathleen Kennedy, saying like JJ, oh God, we need you, we need you so much. Colin's gone. <laughs> Help us, save us, JJ. You are our only hope. And then JJ's first thought is, oh my God, I can make it just. Like <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I'm actually like writing mental fan fiction about oh the behind God. the scenes goings on at Lucasfilm. <laughs> Yeah, like so. Obviously, he would have to bring in more original elements. He couldn't just copy that story. <laughs> I feel like the, the Last Jedi kind of provides foundation for that, right? If the Force bond continues to become stronger and stronger, who knows? Yes. They could really do anything they want, and I'm really excited for all the possibilities. They really could. But then, if he is just remaking your name, it would explain how he did the script so quickly. Boom. Oh, I think he might be in trouble if he does that. Well, he bought the rights. Well, yeah. So maybe that's why creatively. he wanted to avoid a lawsuit. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, I need to stop people thinking that I'm just remaking Star Wars. I know, I'll remake this anime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Come on, I have I have more faith in JJ than that. I do as well. I'm obviously, like, shit-talking now. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Okay, right. I'm going to get to the final question now, and I'm going to calm down. Do we see another team-up between them? What about a duel where they face off against each other? A fight to the death seems redundant, given that they made a point of having Rey beat Kylo in the first movie. Ignore the fact that Luke <laughs> I know what you meant. <laughs> yeah, good. Um, <laughs> um, I really want another duel between them, but obviously it has to be different from The Force Awakens because their relationship is very different now, so I feel like it would be more emotionally fraught. You could have them almost pleading with each other to understand their point of view or... Again, it could be like how they battle out this misunderstanding between them. So like, what if you get this tropey as hell thing where they're dueling each other and then somehow they have to start dueling against other people like in the same sequence? Like, who knows what could happen? When you said tropey as hell, (laughs) I have such like simple needs and such a simple (laughs) mind. I literally thought they both pause mid battle stance. They look deeply into each other's eyes. They drop their sabers and run across the field. I'm an impassionate embrace. <laughs> I'm not going to cross out anything as a possibility because <laughs> some of the stuff in The Last Jedi, I was like, I love it, but this is cheesy. Yeah. It's Star Wars, you know. But... Oh my God. Sorry. Like, I'm just so excited about the four of them, like, reuniting. Like, whether they're adversarial or like fighting other people but yeah like realistically i really like your idea where they start off fighting each other but then something else crops up and they need to actually turn their attentions to the proper enemy and they get their priorities straight um so yeah something like that would be really cool yeah i also love the idea of them like fighting like as they're fighting they realize they really don't want to fight each other yeah and they definitely don't want to kill each other and then like stop in on that basis and actually talking about things. But then someone comes in, I like Hux well. comes in and actually does some damage to one of them, and then the other's like, "No, <laughs> oh my darling." Oh. People have probably listened to this oh. and be like, "What the fuck?" 
It's been a weird evening, okay? It's been super weird. The message of the story is anything can happen and we're super excited for episode nine, even though it's still like two years away. <laughs> exactly. And I think on that note, we're probably at a good point where we can pause this discussion on the questions for episode nine because yeah, we've been talking for a long ass time and we need to like stop at some point. <laughs> um, but yeah, we will definitely return to this discussion. Um, there's just one more thing I'd like to tackle on this show, Kirsty, and that's a listener question. Okay. I think it's interesting because I feel like a lot of the fan reactions after The Last Jedi were about, well, where's the story going to go from here? Like everything's been wrapped up. This is almost like a standalone movie or the end of a trilogy in that, you know, lots of stuff's resolved. Like Ray had this temptation. She didn't um, give in. Kylo is continuing down the villainous path and now he's supreme leader. Snoke as the big villain is gone. But I think we've just demonstrated that there are tons of questions still. Like there, yeah. there is so much potential in episode nine. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Like I think this, de- this whole discussion like is a great demonstration of the fact that yeah there's plenty to be excited for and there's all kinds of narrative possibilities that are open like and yeah again i'm biased but it does kind of reconfirm my conviction that the Raylo reading of the story is at the very least the most fun <laughs> because yeah i don't think for any other read of the story you can just go into all these different threads and consider all these different possibilities well the thing is i, I don't want to be like oh there's a Raylo reading or whatever because as we've just as we just like explored, there are lots of different ways the story can go. So it's not like oh yeah, yeah. there's this one thing. But I'm just interested. Mm. I don't know too many people who deny the central dynamic of that or like the importance of it. But I guess yeah. I should maybe go out and seek more podcasts from people who see it very differently from me. I'm just interested mm. to know that if you don't recognize the fundamental importance of that central dynamic, what do you think episode nine is going to be about? Um, yeah. Because... I felt like The Last Jedi really drilled that into our heads, that that is like fundamental, whatever happens between them. Um, but it's about yeah. how these two characters feel about each other that matters, and that's what's driving the story, and it's going to be the overall message of the trilogy. Mm. I have seen some YouTube videos from people who definitely do not see it, and I think the answer to the question of where do they see the story going is not very far. <laughs> yeah, this they just can't see how it can move forward and yeah i feel sorry for them kind of this is like don't don't be sad there's lots of places it can go fun places <laughs> okay if we said all we want to yeah. say okay great then in that case i think we'll move on to our fourth and final section which is a listener question and this is from christian Hi, I really enjoyed hearing about Sana Staros being one of the characters in the new Han Solo book. She is great in the comic, and I hope they keep and expand on her sexuality. In the comics, it is implied that she's had a romantic relationship with Dr. Aphra, and it would be fantastic if they could continue what Chuck Wendig started in the Aftermath trilogy. Great developed characters that are non-heterosexual, but in the narrative, in their own right. It would be interesting to hear you talk about where you think the new Star Wars canon will go with regard to a more inclusive perspective on sexuality, ethnicity, class, etc. As a Scandinavian, hence the poor English, your English is not poor, your English is brilliant, please don't apologise, it's not always easy to guess how far they will dare to take it without upsetting narrow-minded fanboys all over the world. 
Not that all is well in the state of Sweden, not by far, but perhaps better than at least parts of the world. Keep up the good work and keep them podcasts long and insightful. Oh, so nice. Uh, yeah, do you have like any thoughts on this question, Kirsty? Like about where they might be going in terms of like diverse representation? Yeah, as an LGBT fan, I'm very excited to see finally if we ever get there um, <laughs> a non-straight character in the movies because. I didn't realise this until afterwards. I, I think I only heard it recently, actually, that Laura Dern had no idea that Amelyn Holdo was pansexual. And mm. I know that it doesn't play into her storyline in The Last Jedi. It's not like she talks yeah. about a love interest or anything. But I really wish that she'd been told that. I feel like that's important, yeah. and I feel like she would find that important, too. Um, because that's yeah. that's a responsibility to be playing someone who isn't straight in a star wars film because that's a first but do do we count it as a first now because it wasn't explicitly stated in the movie it's like this whole stuff going on um with the fantastic beasts um franchise right that Mm -hmm. dumbledore has been said to be gay and was in love with Grindelwald, yes but they're not going to explore that in the movie so it's like well then does it count kind of seems like people are trying to have their cake and eat it too with these characters um yeah. So yeah, I hope that if Sanastaros is in this book, um, well, we've been told that she is, um, that they'll reference that in some way because I haven't read the Afro comics myself, but I think it's wonderful mm. that they allude to that relationship between them. Yeah, no, definitely. Like you say, I think that I'd like to see them just be a bit braver about it. So I think they have been pretty good in terms of like diversity and representation, like in the novels, and they've obviously made significant like leaps forward in the films as well. But I do want to see the films go that bit further. And like you say, like have an LGBT person like on screen. And like again, it's not about like making like there be an entire subplot about this person having a love interest and like them going out for romantic dinners and stuff. Like just have that be a, a factual element of that person. You know, that's just who they are and depict that. Don't be afraid of showing that. And yeah, like I just want to see them do that more because, like you say, there's the risk that if they only have like LGBT characters, for example, in the comics and in the novels, then it's almost like that's okay because it's more niche mm-hmm. and it's only ever going to be for a more limited audience. But they don't want to bring that into the movies because they have such a wider audience there and they don't want to alienate that wider audience by <sighs> exposing them to things that they might not like. And I think that's wrong and a bit cowardly. So, yeah, I want to see them take greater greater strides forward. Yeah, and that's why I feel like when we do get our first non-straight character in the movies, it's not going to be a major character. Um, And that's Mm. why I'd kind of had hopes for Holdo that they were going to allude to it somehow. Like, even if it was just her looking at a photo of her lover or something like that, you know, like... But they they didn't. Um, So... Yeah, I know a lot of fans have this really strong hope that Poe is going to be explicitly stated as a gay man. I do not think they're going to go there. I'm sorry. Um, mm. And I know Oscar Isaac is in full support of it as well. That's great. I just, I don't think they're going to do it in nine. No. Yeah, I'd love them to. But yeah, I just don't see it. <laughs> um, because yeah, that would be a big risk for them like in terms of depicting that character especially so i think that's a character that a lot more of like the traditional like male fans are like really attached to and i think they may think if we make this character gay are we alienating like a big portion of the fan base and again i think that's wrong but i do think that sort of 
consideration will affect their decision-making process. Yeah, it's one of these things where it's like if you have a female protagonist, then, oh, well, who do the the male fans identify with? Because <laughs> yeah. for some sad reason, it can be harder for not everyone. So if we have male listeners who identify with Ray, I think that's fantastic. She's a great character, and I hope that a lot of people mm. do. But you saw this when yeah. The Force Awakens came out. You had people saying, well, if we have her, like, who do, who do I relate to? And we had mm. Finn and Poe, two great male heroes, but this was the thing I always had about this idea of like Storm Pilot being canon. I think it would be great if they'd gone there. I I also love Finn and Rose together, so that works out for me. Um, but I don't think they would have done it because then it's oh, well, you have these two male heroes who are gay. Like for me personally, that's fantastic, but I am not representative of the larger fan base. Um, mm. So yeah, like I I think it's coming. Um, just like I hope mm. that better diversity across the board is coming um, but I think they're going to play it safe to start with and it's not going to be a major character yeah no I I reckon that if we see it I reckon it will be in the Ryan Johnson trilogy or in the Benioff and Weiss trilogy mm. um, because I think they'd consider that like a more open playground for them to try things like that you know because those films are by their very nature going to be more experimental and they're not going to be about fitting into this old traditional regime and yeah like they really don't have any more excuse to be honest by the time they get to that films is like look you should be trying things here you should be making it fresh and you should be introducing new like kinds of people yeah and i feel like a lot of the time they kind of get around it with coding like i know with rogue one i kind of had canon shirt and Baze as in a relationship mm. um and they clearly yeah. love each other a lot but i know a lot of people think that that's like a brotherly relationship or they're just very close friends um, yeah, I think that's kind of the way they've been for a while now, kind of getting around this idea that they can code characters as gay if you read them that way, and then mm. that's something for shippers or for people who are wanting that kind of representation in the characters they love. Mm. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's just kind of a case of waiting around for them to make it more explicit. Exactly. We reckon it is coming, but we're just not confident it's going to come in episode nine. In terms of representation in the films, I'm sure that the comics and the books will very much continue to have like more diverse like LGBT characters. That's considered a safe realm for them to yeah. do Yeah, I mean, you never know. They could surprise us in Solo. Um, but I feel like yeah, they if could. they're going to, I feel like they're going to include that in the promotion in the movie because that's something that people like to toot their own horns at. Um, do you remember when Beauty and the Beast came out and they made this huge song and dance about, uh, is it, what's his name? Uh, yeah josh gad's character that he was gay and in love with gaston and when you watch the movie it's like it's there if you want to see it but it's not a big part of the story yeah it's like the most subtle subtext right. <laughs> so i think at the end he like starts dancing with another guy like when they're all turned back into people and it's like mm, yeah <laughs> okay dancing it must be gay <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> they were patting themselves on the back for this huge thing and it was like mm, not really can do better. <laughs> yeah, do better. Oh, goodness. Right. I think on that note, that's a good point at which to close off the show. Um, just so people know, we won't be having a show next week because um, I believe you're going to a local Comic Con, aren't you, Kirsty? And I'm doing something else on the one day that we would have been available to record. Yeah, I'm going to Emerald City Comic Con. Yay! Awesome. Yeah, so it'll be a little bit of a break, but when we come back, we should hopefully have lots of novelization stuff to discuss, which will be exciting. Um, 
Yeah, although I need to check what the release date of that is in the UK, I must say, because now I'm mildly terrified oh, no. it might be one of those horrible situations where we don't get it for like a month or something, but I'll just have to find ways and means because I cannot wait. It's like, don't do this to me. <laughs> um, so yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be okay. Breathe. Just breathe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. So I'm Rachel, and you can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you? Kirsty? I'm Basila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye! Bye!